Bloviating hairdo Jim Acosta has been banned from the White House, at least temporarily, after refusing to shut up and playing keep away with a female White House intern. Then, Democrats advocate for segregated campuses, but nothing new there, and leftist thugs try to kick in Tucker Carlson's door in the middle of the night. An awful shooting occurs in California, but the political activists are already out in force. Finally, the mailbag. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. The star of CNN, Jim Acosta, has had his White House press badge revoked for reaction now. We turn to Jim Acosta. Jim, uh, what can you tell us about having the press pass revoked? I'm Ron Burgundy. Really strong, really interesting. We'll have to get to more of that in just one second. But first, let's make a little money with ExpressVPN. With all of the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry uh, about where your data goes when you make an online purchase or even if you just access your email. Uh, that could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. That's why I decided to take back my privacy using ExpressVPN. You would be crazy not to use a VPN right now. Everybody is stealing your data. Foreign governments, corporations, uh, anytime you are on the internet, your data is at risk. It's insane not to. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protect yourself with ExpressVPN. It costs less than seven bucks a month. Seven bucks a month. That is like a medium-priced latte. Do not... (laughs) Just think about what you've got on the internet. Just think about what you're looking at, what you've got in your email, what the financial information, protect it for less than seven bucks a month. Uh, find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. That is E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Michael to learn more. This was Jim Acosta's favorite day. It was his favorite day probably of his entire life. He, he gave us a little bit of reaction. He explained even more what happened after the scuffle with a White House intern and con- nagging the president with a bunch of questions. He gets his pass revoked. Here's what he says to Anderson Cooper. Yeah, I, I went back to the White House actually to do a, a live shot for your program uh, just before 8 o'clock. And when I arrived at the gate, the Secret Service came out and informed me uh, that my press credentials uh, were being, uh, I guess, revoked temporarily, suspended. And uh, the Secret Service officer came over to me and asked me to uh, hand over my credential. And I did. And I told him, I said, listen, I know you're a professional. You're just doing your job. Uh, and uh, thanks for your service. And handed him my a credential I've had for five years. Um, I want to read a reaction from a few of your colleagues covering uh, the White House. Jeff Mason uh, from Reuters just tweeted, I was seated next to Acosta at today's press conference and did not witness him placing his hands, that's in quotes, on the young intern, as the White House alleges. He held onto the microphone as she reached for him. So that's what they're saying. That's what this is all about, that uh, allegedly uh, Jim Acosta pushed this girl, this White House intern who was trying to take the mic away. Just pause and take a moment and realize how much Jim Acosta loves this. How, this is what his entire career of being a journalist has built toward, is going on CNN, saying, I'm here. Uh, they took away my White House press badge. Me, little old me, I'm me, my, all through the night. I'm me, my, I'm me, my, I'm me, my. He is loving every second of this. It's all about Jim being in the spotlight. And this is the story. This is actually why it's right for the White House to revoke his press credential. It's not because... He played to keep away with this reporter. Some people right now are trying to say that he physically assaulted this reporter. 
He didn't. He did get physical, though. He, did, uh, he didn't go, he didn't beat her. She's not going to have a bruise. But he, you know, he didn't, uh, he, he did get physical in the moment. What he really did is play keep away for, with the reporter. And that this is the big problem, is that Jim Acosta was there. He asked all of these questions. Trump answered the questions. He kept asking more. He kept making more accusations. And he wouldn't give up the microphone. Think about all these reporters in the room who could have asked questions if Jim Acosta had not been stealing the spotlight for himself. And then it, it's all designed to create this polarity between Jim Acosta and the White House. And then it's all about Jim Acosta. One of the things they tell you when you're trying to be a real journalist is not to make yourself the story. You, the reporter, are not supposed to be the story. The story is the story and you're covering it. And Jim Acosta doesn't do that. Jim Acosta takes every single chance he possibly can to make himself the story. That's why his press credential should be taken away. Because nobody benefits from this. Nobody benefits from Jim Acosta going out and making a star of himself. That's, we should be covering the president, we should be covering the White House, not covering a bloviating hairdo. So the question is, did he put his hands on the woman? Did he actually assault her? You can take a look at the clip right now and judge for yourself. That's Mr. enough. Mr. President, I, well, that's I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Excuse me. That's enough. Mr. President. Pardon me, ma'am. Pardon me. Keeps the microphone away. So if you couldn't see that, it's a, it's a quick exchange. We've slowed it down in super duper slow motion. If you can tolerate Jim, Jim Acosta's slow motion voice, take a closer look. That's Mr. enough. Mr. President, I, that's well, I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. President. Me. That's enough. Mr. President. Pardon me, ma'am. My beautiful hairdo is about to fall out of shape, ma'am. No, I need more gel in the mousse in that. So that's what's happening the, for those of you who are listening to it. And what happens is he is holding the microphone. He has gone on now for several minutes, monopolizing the time in this room. And so Trump says, that's enough. Okay, I've answered several of your questions. I'm not, we're not going to get in a tit for tat here. And so the White House intern, this lovely young woman, comes up to take the microphone and he pulls the microphone away. And as he pulls it away, his other hand is there and pushes down on her arm that's going to reach for the microphone. So the left is saying, well, she went for him physically. And then the right is saying, he hit a woman. He pushed or shoved a woman. He assaulted a woman. That's not the issue. That isn't the issue. She was perfectly within her rights to take the microphone away from this bloviator. And he, just reacting like the bloviating uh, star seeker that he is, pulls the microphone away to try to keep it. And uh, as he's doing that, he pushes her arm. That's the problem. He's not behaving like a gentleman. He's not behaving with any dignity befitting his occupation. The whole argument for CNN right now is that Donald Trump is this lout, this bore, this vulgarian, but CNN, they're the serious people. They're going to restore dignity to the country. They're going to, and then this is dignity. This is what happens as you play keep away with this young White House intern after monopolizing the White House press corps time, after monopolizing the president's time and preventing other reporters from asking questions. Are you kidding me? That's why his press badge should be taken away. It's, it, it should be taken away because he's getting exactly what he wants right now. And what he wants is not to cover the, pre, not to cover the, the White House. It's not to cover the president. It's not to cover national policy. 
It's to make himself famous and go on air with Anderson Cooper and pretend to be a super serious person. I'm speaking, I'm actually sort of defending Jim Acosta here in that I don't think he's a woman beater uh, assailant or something like that. I think that he is a, a narcissist. And I have a little bit of insight into this because I knew Jim Acosta before Jim Acosta was Jim Acosta. Actually, when I was up at, in college, I was working on a campaign to try to get Mitch Daniels to run for president, the Indiana governor. And the campaign got big enough that CNN sent their young reporter, Jim Acosta, up to cover us. Here is a younger Jim Acosta and a younger me. It might be a stretch to call him the big man on campus. But Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels is getting some presidential buzz at colleges across the country, thanks to Yale University students Max Eden and Michael Knowles. So we, the thing goes on, and I, I spent an afternoon with Jim Acosta, and I left that thinking, because we were told, watch out, you're doing a right-wing campaign, and CNN's coming up, they're going to cover you poorly. And so I, I assumed they were going to be really critical of the campaign and really left-wing. It wasn't that. I, I don't think Jim Acosta is really left-wing at all. I don't think he's left-wing. I don't think he's right-wing. I think he's just all about Jim Acosta. And so the reaction to this, everyone's focusing on the disrespect that he showed to the woman. Think about the disrespect to his colleagues, to the president of the United States, to the White House. That's really the disrespect here. This is not how gentlemen behave. This is not how journalists are supposed to behave. And uh, if, if they want to pretend in the mainstream media that they are restoring the dignity of, of that office, even if President Trump is allegedly degrading the dignity, then, they, then they've got to put up or shut up. And they shouldn't have showboaters out there. So it's very fun. And by the way, I, I mentioned this on the show the other day, that Trump gives everybody everything that they want. The high civic engagement, high voter turnout, unifies the Dems, unifies the Republicans, protects American labor and industries, also gets uh, foreign, foreign adversaries to lower their trade barriers and lower their tariffs. Everybody gets what they want. Jim Acosta gets what he wants to. He gets to look super serious and become the story again. But how much longer are we going to tolerate this guy becoming the story? Speaking of uh, actual threats to journalists, not fake threats like a 90-pound White House female intern and the president making fun of Jim Acosta. Tucker Carlson has been uh, attacked at his home. Tucker Carlson, fortunately, he wasn't home at the time, but there was a major left-wing attack, and it tells you everything you need to know about them by what they were chanting, how his wife had to hide in fear in the pantry as they tried to bust in. Before that, speaking of entering people's boudoirs, let's talk about Purple Mattress. I love Purple Mattress. You know that I proselytize purple mattress. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try it. I naturally have back pain. It runs in the family. I've tried a lot of different mattresses. Purple is completely unlike any other mattress. It's not like an inner spring. It's not like the memory foam. It's this new technology. It's unbelievable. It was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It's very unique because it's both it's a totally unique mattress in that it's both firm and soft at the same time. It keeps everything supported, um, but it, it I know that sounds crazy that it's both firm and soft. It is. Somehow it really is. It sleeps very cool. It feels zero gravity. This morning I woke up early uh, to go do a news hit at three in the morning or something. By the time I came back, I kid you not, the first thing I said to sweet little Elise as I got back in bed, I'm dead bone tired. I said, ah, I love our purple mattress. I love it so much. It lulled me right back to sleep. 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return it for a full refund back by 10-year warranty. Free shipping and returns. 
Here's how you get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. These things are expensive, so uh, the purple pillows, and you can get one for free with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Text COFEFE, C-O-V-F-E-F-E to 474747. Only way to get the free pillow. Text COFEFE, C-O-V-F-E-F-E to 474747, C-O-V-F-E-F-E to 474747, and get a free, super cool, sweet pillow. Love purple. So while Tucker Carlson's family was trying to rest in, at night in their home, hopefully on their purple mattress, this screeching mob of Antifa left-wingers attacked his house. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that they went into his neighborhood or they chased him out of a restaurant. They went to his house. They cracked his front door because they tried to bust in. These sick thugs tried to bust into his house. Tucker wasn't even home at the time. His wife was home uh, making dinner, and she heard that, and she assumed it was a home invasion. So she had to lock herself in her pantry in fear for her life, text Tucker, call 911, because these sick left-wing thugs were trying to bust in. Here's some video of them. What a bunch of pathetic, little, sad, womanish, not womanly, womanish, unmanly, hysterical children thugs. How pathetic. I wonder what sort of relationship these, these little man children have with their fathers. Probably not great, I would guess. I think all of these Antifa, all of the screeching left-wingers in the street, uh, whatever they're chanting, I think the subtext is, F you, dad. F you, dad. I'm not. You can't make me. No. <laughs> That's what I think the subtext is. I think these are psychologically very damaged people who have glommed on to a sick, perverse political ideology to fill the gaping, mawing hole in their hearts because of the sick shame that they feel when they gaze at themselves in the mirror. The shame that their parents must feel to have raised such horrible failures of children like these. What shame, what shame they've brought on their families with whom I suspect they don't have a very good relationship anyway. Awful, awful stuff. I bring this up for a couple of reasons. One, because of what they're chanting. We know that the left has been encouraging violent attacks on prominent right-wingers. We know that. That's been happening for a long time. But what they're chanting, they're saying, we know where you sleep at night. That's pretty sick stuff. But then one of the other chants they, they said was, no borders, no wall, no USA at all. That's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with people who are openly calling for the destruction of the United States. This is the same group in D.C., by the way, called Smash Racism D.C., which chased Ted Cruz out of that restaurant. Um, so they're calling for the abolition of the United States. A lot of these videos now have disappeared from social media because obviously they're quite violent. Um, now, what the left is saying in response is they're saying that there are right-wing extremists too. What about that guy who sent the mail bombs, none of which went off a couple weeks ago? What about him? See, people on both sides. Okay, so what you're pointing to is one homeless stripper with a Make America Great Again hat who failed to commit violent acts against left-wingers, who failed 100% to commit violent acts against left-wingers. Okay, yeah, bad guy. The entire right unified and condemned that guy. Now, what the right is pointing to are these mobs of violent wackos who were bu busting down Tucker Carlson's door, who were attacking Ted Cruz in public, attacking Mitch McConnell in public. And how, how are the mainstream left-wingers reacting? They're encouraging it. The right condemns their lunatics. 
The left encourages it. Political commentators, mainstream ones, and elected officials alike, Maxine Waters, Eric Holder, Hillary Clinton. And just to look at the talking heads, I often uh, recommend that people read Vox.com, that left-wing website, insane left-wing hack website, but it's good to read it to figure out what the left is thinking. I encourage people to go read that. A writer at Vox.com, Matthew Iglesias, this is how he responded to this uh, attack on Tucker Carlson's family. Quote, I think the idea behind terrorizing his family, like it or not, as a strategy, is to make them feel some of the fear that the victims of MAGA-inspired violence feel thanks to the non-stop racial incitement coming from Tucker, Trump, etc. The victims, Tucker Carlson's victims, the victims of what? The victims of tweets? The victims of enforcing our laws? The victims of having a border at all? Is that what you're saying? So he's defending these thugs. This is a very prominent left-wing commentator at perhaps the most prominent left-wing online media outlet. Defending it. He then goes on, because that wasn't enough to defend them. He says, I honestly cannot empathize with Tucker Carlson's wife at all. With his wife at all. I agree that protesting at her house was tactically unwise and shouldn't be done, but I'm utterly unable to identify with her plight on any level. Right, because you're a child. Because you're a little whiny child. I wonder what relationship you have to your family too, speaking of you. Because you're lumping yourself in, Matthew Iglesias, with all of these sick little children who are, who are trying to commit violence against a, an innocent woman for the crime of being married to a, a television talk show host. Sick stuff, really, really sick stuff. And he's defending. So don't ever let them tell you that there's a moral equivalence between the left and the right. Oh yeah, there's a, a Trump fan who sent a pipe bomb and there are left-wingers who attack people's houses. It's all the same. No, the entire right condemned the, the pipe bomb homeless stripper. Donald Trump came out and said he should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But when the left does it, they're encouraged by elected officials and by these news media outlets. He goes on. I mean, he, Matthew Iglesias went on this crazy Twitter rant today. He said, I met a woman who didn't leave the house for months because she was afraid of being picked up by ICE and never seeing her U.S. citizen kids and husband again. What sense was there in terrorizing her family? She's in violation of the law. She's a foreign national. We have laws for a reason. We have a border. We have to be able to decide who comes into the country, who doesn't come into the country. What he actually said is, I met a criminal who didn't go out very much because she didn't want the cops to catch her for her crime. Okay, yeah, I'm, it's too bad that she committed a crime. She shouldn't have done it. But we have to have a border because when you don't have a border, you incentivize horrible things like 60 to 80% of young women and girls who cross the border illegally being raped or sexually assaulted, according to the Huffington Post and Fusion and Amnesty International like uh, human traffickers bringing drugs and children across the border to do nefarious things with them, like unvetted people, like the national security risk that it poses, like the fact that every other country on earth gets to determine who enters and who leaves the country. Mexico gets to, Guatemala gets to, Honduras gets to, Nicaragua gets to, but the United States not allowed to. Okay, absurd, absurd comment and true moral idiocy from this guy. Um, you know, last night uh, uh, I was at this event at Loyola Marymount with Drew. We did a joint speech. And uh, at this speech, uh, race became a big issue. There was a, a, an exclusively black student group who came and they were protesting and they were very angry. And this really reminded me of some of the insanity that's going on right now at the college campuses. At Ohio University right now, 
there is a proposal to have a minorities only gym, a gym that can only be used by racial minorities. Now, I assume that the campus administrators are going to tell us that the gym has this, this equal facilities to the gym for white people. It's just separate. You might call the gym, I don't know, the separate but equal gym. That's You have Democrats advocating for racial segregation because there is nothing new under the sun. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. Nothing changes ever. And this is going on across the country. There is a self-segregation that is going on. There is an insistence by minority students that we return to the days of racial segregation. Uh, there are a couple reasons for this. One reason is that they don't know anything. They don't know anything about history. They don't know anything about politics. They don't know about the American founding, and they don't know about the real state of politics in America. The other reason is that victimhood carries a currency today. It carries a real currency. There is a social status associated with victimhood. Obviously, you can look at, a, at one particular example of affirmative action and say that victimhood carries advantages because if you can sh show that your race or your sex or whatever has been historically oppressed in the United States, then you gain an advantage in college admissions. But it also carries a social advantage beyond that. At this event at Loyola Marymount, there was this group of exclusively black students and they came in and they had duct tape on their mouths and they were protesting. What they were protesting, I don't know. Uh, the, the suggestion seemed to be that they were being censored and so they were going to protest that. But of course they weren't being censored. They put the duct tape on their own mouths. So uh, Drew and I confronted them to show the hollowness of this victim ideology. Here it is. All right, this will be our last question of the evening. Well, you know, before we go, I should point out, there are people in the back of the room who have put m tape over their mouths as though they've been censored, as though they're not able to speak. So I'd just like to take the opportunity. Nobody is stopping you from speaking. Nobody is, we're actually inviting you to speak. If anybody would like to come up and ask a question, now's your opportunity, you can cut the entire line. Would anybody who has uh, masking tape over their mouths, well, you don't have masking tape, oh, you can come ask a question too, but uh, I, I mean specifically the people who are making a statement and saying, I am being censored. Would any of you like to remove the masking tape, which you put on yourself, and come up here and ask a question, or would you rather stand back there and play the victim? I think we got my answer. Okay. Next guy in line. Let's hear the, let's hear He's been waiting. How did I know that that was going to happen? They stand there. For those of you who couldn't see, they're standing there with the tape and they're just staring. And they're staring looking, if they'd, be, they'd look slack-jawed if they didn't have tape on their mouths holding their mouth up because the point that they're trying to make is totally empty. But it is a wonderful reflection of race hustling and race politics in America because they put the tape on their mouths themselves. They did it themselves. They did it because there is a currency to being a victim. And when you call them out for it, and when you say you're not a victim, you're not a victim at all, you're here, you can speak, use that beautiful hand that God gave you to take the tape off your own mouth, the tape that you put on yourself, and speak. Use your voice. Use your political speech. Use the thing, the very thing that makes us human, the ability to have meaningful speech. Use it, and we'll engage, and we can talk. They can't do it because they have nothing to say. Nothing to say other than insinuation and race-hustling nonsense to, to suggest. The suggestion on their signs that they were holding up is that uh, Drew and I are racist. I don't know where they got that from. I don't know what their evidence is that Drew and I were somehow preventing them from speaking. So I wanted to point out that nobody's preventing them from speaking, but nobody is. 
the, uh, Candace Owens started this uh, walk away campaign. Now she's calling it Blexit, I think, uh, the black exit from the Democrat Party, because for so long, uh, uh, black voters have voted 90% with Democrats, between mid-80s and up low 90s percent with Democrats. And it's bizarre that a race would vote so uniformly with one political party. You don't see this with other races. And she's saying you can walk away. You're being sold a bill of goods. And what they're being told is that the Republican Party is racist. Conservatives are racist. They hate you. They don't like you. They don't want you. They want to hurt you. The whatever. Whatever sick lies that they're being told by race hustlers. And so they've gone along with this. Nobody is trying to stop you. Nobody's trying to stop you from speaking. Freedom is a wonderful thing. Opening up your mouth and using your political speech and engaging with people who, with whom you think you disagree, even though I suspect you probably don't disagree on very much, but you don't know that because you're so interested in looking at yourself and preening and making yourself into a victim that you won't actually engage and open your mouth and talk to your, your fellow Americans. Really sad, really pathetic. Uh, that university has clearly failed them and their families have failed them too. There's a theme, I think, growing today <laughs> among the people we're looking at on the left. And this is a theme broadly that uh, as social structures have collapsed, as family structures have collapsed, local communities have collapsed, people are really falling into political idiocy and political extremism on the left. And it's a sad state of affairs, and it's being encouraged by, by elected officials. You know, now the guy who was running for governor of Florida, Andrew Gillum, he's a socialist race hustler who baselessly accused Republican Ron DeSantis of being a racist absolutely no grounding for that whatsoever. He conceded because he got beaten by DeSantis. And then he unconceded because, uh, because Democrats can never concede an election. They just need to dig up a few more dead votes and then they'll, they'll be able to put them over the top. So he's unconceded. Uh, Stacey Abrams, who is running in Georgia for governor of Georgia, she has unconceded, or I don't, maybe she didn't concede in the first place, even though she got beat. So Bernie Sanders has come out now and he is blaming racism for not electing Stacey Abrams, who's black, and Andrew Gillum, who's black, blaming racism. That's all they've got. That's the only thing that they can say, and it's meaningless. And I highly recommend it. It was a cathartic moment last night. When you go out and you say, here's your opportunity. Tell me everything you want to tell me. They won't say anything because there's nothing to it. There's nothing to the charge at all. It's just sick race hustling, and it's the sign of a desperate Democrat party. You know, one of the great aspects of the midterms is that uh, in those key races, the, Dem the Democrat candidates whom the party really wanted to propel, really wanted to make into stars, failed. Beto O'Rourke got beaten. Beto O'Rourke, uh, Stacey Abrams, Andrew Gillum was being talked about as a possible Democrat presidential nominee. They all got beat. And as a result now, there's, uh, there was a poll that Hill TV took. It was the Hill TV American Barometer poll. 680 Democrat voters, so a relatively small sample size, nevertheless. Who do you think came up first? We know all the people we've talked about as possible 2020 candidates. Joe Biden, Lia Watha, Cory Booker, uh, Hillary is still being talked about. The revivified corpse of Hillary Clinton marching on to her 75th try at the White House. So Joe Biden got 168 votes. He came in second. Bernie Sanders got 123, came in third. Hillary somehow found 80 votes. Uh, Kamala Harris, 28 votes. Mike Bloomberg, 27 votes. Do you know who came in first? None of the above. None of the above won the Democrat preference poll. And this is especially true among younger voters. So for, uh, for older voters, they still selected none of the above. 
but that the percentage increased among younger voters, and which is obviously the case. Nobody wants Hillary Clinton to be president, though they might nominate her anyway. All of these desiccated old corrupt crony Democrats, all they've got is they're running on resentment. They're running on racism and sexism and all that sick hustling. They've got no issues to back them up. And Democrats want a different choice. I'm not surprised. But their future stars just got beaten. They're out. Michael Avenatti is probably going to start wearing an orange jumpsuit pretty soon as he's been referred for criminal investigation by the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, they've got nobody. They've got nothing. They're running on empty. That's why they run on racism. And it's really sad. We should speak for just a second about the shooting in Thousand Oaks this morning. This shooting happened very early in the morning. It was a massive shooting. Twelve people are dead so far. Uh, also, the gunman is dead. And a lot of people are injured up there. This was uh, in a, a country music bar, a country music dance bar. This guy comes in and just starts shooting. It turns out he's a Marine Corps veteran. He served in Afghanistan. And uh, already, of course, the gun control activists are out. This was trending on Twitter within an hour, I think, of the shooting. This, obviously, prayers to the victims and their families. From the political angle, reacting to the political activists who are already trying to push for gun control, this is an interesting case because it's an ex-military guy who committed the murders. So this is a guy who was well-trained with weapons, who had security clearances, who had background checks at least, who knew how to use a gun, who by any measure, when when we're talking about gun control, we say that law enforcement and ex-military should be able to have guns. He He had his guns. He purchased the guns legally. The gun was not an AR-15. They always try to, on the left, say that AR-15s need to be banned and this will stop the problem, even though virtually nobody is killed every year from AR-15s. The vast, vast majority of people killed in gun incidents, uh, those incidents involved handguns. This guy used a handgun as well. Um, So none of the boxes that they would typically be pushing out for gun control would qualify in this case. However, there is one aspect which is not gun control, which might have helped prevent this shooting, which is that in recent years, deputies have interacted with this guy for domestic disturbances. Actually, a sheriff's deputy was one of the victims, one of the people. He went in, he was first on the scene, he he went in there to try to stop him, and unfortunately, he was killed. Deputies have interacted with this killer in recent years for domestic disturbances, and they came in and they realized he was almost certainly suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. He served in Afghanistan. A lot of soldiers come back with PTSD. It seemed like he was suffering from it. They couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't do anything about it because they couldn't involuntarily commit him. It's virtually impossible to involuntarily commit people to mental institutions today. And that's been the case for decades and decades. Because they couldn't do that, because they couldn't throw him in a loony bin to protect the public from him, 12 people are dead today. There is no gun law that they could have passed short of confiscation. And even then, even then, there are 300 million guns in the country. Criminals will get their hands on guns. There's no gun law that they could have passed to prevent this shooting. But if you made it easier, I've been saying this every time there's a mass shooting, if you made it easier to involuntarily commit insane people who are a danger to themselves and to others, you, you could have prevented this shooting. That's the one thing you could have done that would have prevented it. But very few people are talking about it because... It's, it doesn't serve people's political agendas, especially on the left, and because it's a very difficult thing to say that we need 
to use the force of the state to be able to commit insane people who pose a danger. It's a tough thing. The right doesn't like it. The left doesn't like it. Nevertheless, it's true. Okay. We've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. We've got a lot of mailbag coming up. If you're not on dailywire.com, that means you're on social media, but you probably won't be for long because you'll probably get censored. Go to Daily Wire. It's 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show. You get to ask questions in the mailbag, you get to ask questions in the conversation. I think I'm coming up on that next, by the way. Uh, you also get the most important thing in the world, which is early access to another kingdom. You get to watch another kingdom on Mondays. Uh, other people who are not subscribers have to wait years and years and years, or at least until Friday, to get the audio. You'll get to see the whole thing with all of that artwork. And, oh yes, there it is, the Leftist Tears Tumblr. You get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. I wish that I'd brought some of these last night to Loyola Marymount so that I could have used them to swim my way off of the campus. You need yours as well. It's the only FDA-approved device to handle salty, radioactive, delicious leftist tears. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with the mailbag. We're going to get through them all today. Probably not, but we'll try. From Jerry. In all of entertainment, what industry, that is music, film, TV, theater, fiction, etc., do you think would have the best cultural impact if it became more politically balanced? Music, the music industry, that's the one. And it's not even about political balance. It's actually a little bigger than political balance. It has to become less tribal and passionate. This is true of pop music. It's true of rap. It's true of dubstep, EDM, whatever. If, if it became more sophisticated, our politics would improve greatly. Look, it would be good if we had movies about how great Ronald Reagan is. It would be good if we had TV shows that describe the world as it is rather than some leftist fantasy. But music is the most important of the art forms. The ancient Greeks talked about this. Plato talked about this. And uh, hearing is the most important sense. In, throughout the Bible, you always hear the word of God. God speaks to you. You hear the voice of God. Uh, Christ is the word, is the word made flesh. You hear the, the voice of God, and it's because uh, to, to hear things, it goes, cuts right through the soul. And this is true when you listen to music. When you're in your car and you're listening to Haydn or Brahms or something, and you're do-do-do, you're driving down the road, listening to Bach, and do 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 then you get out of your car, you feel a certain way. Your head is in a, a more rational place. If you're in your car, and you're just blasting EDM, like you're going to get out of your car feeling more like an animal. <laughs> you're going to feel like a brute, for lack of a better word, because uh, percussive, tribal, brutal music uh, deadens your rational faculties and incites the base passions. <laughs> I don't know how to say that more politically incorrectly than that, but the ancient Greeks knew what they were talking about, and this has been true throughout the history of Western music. Specifically, percussion uh, really arouses uh, passions that are at odds with your rational faculties. So if we were able to get into music, and I'm not saying we need to uh, play the, the MAGA song or something, start to get pop music to use more conservative words. I'm saying that the music itself should be more conservative. I think it would really tamp down passions because also that's the art form we interact with the most. We hear it in coffee shops. We're playing it on our iPods. We're playing it when we're in the car. We're, we listen to it at bars and clubs. We're constantly interacting with music. If music were better and more sophisticated, our culture would be better and more sophisticated too. From Peter, 
Mr. Knowles, I recently subscribed, but now face a dilemma. I have a wonderful girlfriend who wants my leftist tears tumbler. I can't say no, as I'm lucky enough to have found a conservative girlfriend. Could you find it in your charitable Catholic heart to intercede on my behalf and ask Ben if I can get a second tumbler? Absolutely not. You sick monster. You hedonistic, entitled millennial. How, you hit the gold mine. You, so you're a subscriber. You've been able to use the Leftist Tears Tumblr, the only FDA-approved device to uh, safely dispose of Leftist Tears. You're, you're getting along, and then you meet a beautiful, wonderful, conservative girlfriend, and she wants your Tumblr, and you get the, you have the honor of giving to your lady your Tumblr, and then you have the temerity to ask for another one? That's not how it works in this life, bucko. Count your blessings. You have a wonderful woman on your arm. You've got at least one leftist tears tumbler that you two can share, that you can come together as one flesh and guzzle leftist tears, and you want another one. Talk about, talk about modernity. Talk about just never knowing when you've got enough. You should, you should think long and hard about your life and, and stop and count your blessings. <laughs> From Margo, hi, definitely not Michael Knowles. Why is it that lefties tend to degenerate and use profanity? It seems that conservatives tend to use more polite and eloquent language. What's the point of the profanity? It seems it's not appealing and makes me think even less of them. Cheers and kofefe. They speak in a profane, vulgar, incoherent way because their thoughts are profane and vulgar and incoherent. They can't state what they believe. They don't have a, a coherent view of the world, and so they have to pepper their spasms of speech with profanities. They do this because they're not confident in what they believe, and they, they're trying too hard. They're pushing. They think that if they say the F word, then you'll take them seriously. That's the Pod Save America guys. They don't really say anything. They just say, it's so effing important. I'm a serious person. That's why they do it. Now, there are uses of profanity. There are plenty of uses of profanity but not the way that they use it. Because they use it in this whiny, emotional, earnest way. Really swearing, you know, swearing in the sense of they're making a swear. They're making an oath. They're cursing you. They're literally cursing their opponents when they do it. You can use profanity in a way that's funny. You know, when you're hanging out with the guys and you've got a good joke and then you use profanity to make that joke funnier, that's a very different use of profanity. You're not doing it out of anger. You're not doing it to hurt or curse or swear. Uh, you're, you're doing it to liven up the conversation and make it funny. This is why guys will use profanity when they're around each other, but they'll use it a little less when they're around women. Traditionally, they don't use it around women at all. And now in culture, it's much more common to do that. But it's, a, it's because it is foul. It is disgusting. It's not fit for public use. So I was on a panel about comedy and someone asked me if I would swear, or I was on a, maybe it was a podcast or something. They said, oh, are you going to start using a lot of profanity? I said, no. I won't, I'll do that if I'm at a bar with the guys, but I'm not going to do it if I'm in public on a public platform. There's a time and a place for everything. But the left doesn't know about appropriate situations and the right times and places. They want to behave like hedonists and little children all the time, everywhere. And, and that's why we think less of them. <laughs> that's why you think less of them. From Arun, dear Dr. Kofefe, what are your thoughts on marijuana use? I drank beer in college. I liked it a lot and still do. <laughs> it reminds me of a Supreme Court justice I like. But I've never used marijuana and have a gut feeling that it's immoral. That said, I cannot justify this feeling philosophically. 
are alcohol and marijuana fundamentally different moral entities? I'm curious about your opinion at a secular level and in terms of your Catholic faith. Alcohol and marijuana are fundamentally different entities at a physical level, (laughs) at the level of drugs. Uh, they're, they're different. I have smoked pot. I've smoked pot before in, you know, college or whenever, and I don't really like it. So I think I actually have a pretty good uh, take on this because I've, I've definitely tried it. I've used it, but I've, I've never like wanted it. I've never put it, you know, I've never had some in my house so that I could have it alone. It's if someone has offered it in college or something, I've tried it. I don't like it. One, because it makes you stupider and two, because it makes you less funny, and it makes you really inward and really introspective. And alcohol does the opposite. Alcohol relaxes you a little bit, and then it's a social lubricant and can liven up a party. And uh, so I, I don't know whether it's immoral to use marijuana. I mean, it's, it's immoral to become belligerently drunk or intoxicated, and, and in so much as getting really high does that, then I suppose that's immoral. But it's really just a question of why are you using the drug? You know, I know plenty of people who use, who, who drink alcohol socially. Virtually everyone does that. 80% of the people I know who smoke pot are huge potheads and they wake and bake and they just use it all the time. So that suggests something's wrong with that. It's also foreign. It's, a, it's foreign to our culture. Alcohol's been around forever. The first miracle that Christ performs is turning wine into, or water into wine for drunk people at a wedding. And so it's been around for a very long time and we, we know how to use it in social situations. Pot is now being introduced for the first time on a broad level to the culture. And the question is, if these things can be abused, why would you introduce a new one? Why would you add that to your repertoire? Look at the kind of people who drink and the kind of situations in which people drink. Do you like those people? Are you, do you like being in those situations? Then maybe it's okay to have a drink. Look at the situations in which people are smoking pot and the kind of people who are obsessed with pot and legalization. If you want to be like them, if you want to be in those situations, go for it, but I suspect you probably don't. From Adam, why do Democratic voters overlook the corruption of politicians like Hillary or Andrew Gillum? Thanks, Adam from Florida. Oh, because they have no standards. They have no standards at all. They don't care. For them, the personal is the political. They're in an all-out blood war with conservatives. They treat politics as religion, and so they don't care if somebody is totally corrupt and uh, uh, hollowed out on the inside. As long as they can be effective, they'll go for them. Uh, they'll, they'll overlook it because they, they are all about the revolution, the perpetual revolution. Uh, what Stalin either apocryphally or actually said that it, uh, you know, uh, Stalin and many other people, you know, they say uh, one death is a tragedy, 10 deaths is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. You've heard communists for a long time say that you've got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. They're perfectly fine dealing in things that are fundamentally wrong and immoral because they think it's going to lead them to paradise, that it's going to lead them to utopia and to progress. This is the lie that the serpent told Eve in the garden. Oh, just break this one little rule and then then things will be really, really great. And it turns out that when you break those little rules, you breed a lot of misery for everybody. From Sarah, hey, Michael, since you were kicked off Twitter, I decided to finally subscribe. My question is, when you have kids, do you plan to take them with you to vote? And how important do you think this is? I have three kids and they all go vote with me and they love it. Absolutely, I will. I uh, came in with my mother when I was nine, uh, I was six years old to force her to vote for Bob Dole. 
She kind of liked Bill Clinton. I loved Bob Dole. I was the only guy in the country who really wanted Bob Dole to be president, probably including Bob Dole, but I really, really liked him. And my mother finally relented. We committed voter fraud because I pulled the lever on behalf of Bob Dole. And it was terrific. And it really got me enthusiastic about voting. And I highly encourage that uh, for your kids as well, because something tells me if you subscribe to this show, you're the kind of person that we should have voting and you're raising kids that we should have voting too. So make sure that we do it because Democrats make a business out of uh, coercing people into voting and we should make sure that we get our, our people to vote too. Final question from Laurel. I think this is from Laurel who paints all the pictures on the wonderful artist on Twitter. Hello to my favorite Catholic besides Tolkien. Several times on your show, you've talked about links between witchcraft and feminism. Do you know if the rise of the, interest witchcraft, uh, of the interest in witchcraft could have anything to do with Harry Potter? Of course, we know it's a favorite story of the left, but do you also think it could have a link with people act, actually practicing witchcraft? Laurel. I don't think so. I think the rise in the popularity of Harry Potter has to do with the illiteracy and shallowness of our culture. <laughs> but I, and the fact that our, our generation in particular is so illiterate that the only myth they can ever refer to is Harry Potter, which is a very mediocre series of children's stories about going to boarding school with a little witchcraft sprinkled on top of it to make it a little bit spicy. I, I don't think so. I think Harry is a moral figure. Uh, I read them, or I read some of them when I was a kid, and uh, Dumbledore is clearly a moral figure. So I really don't think so. This was a big debate, I think especially among Catholics at the time, as to whether this should be banned because it promotes witchcraft. I don't think so. It's a fantasy. And I think the people who now are, are practicing witchcraft and who boast about practicing witchcraft and try to put hexes on Brett Kavanaugh, I don't think it's because they read Harry Potter as kids. I think it's because they're into way darker stuff and there are way darker things in our culture than a mediocre children's book. Uh, and the, the only threat I think that mediocre children's book poses is for many millennials, it was the last book that they read. <laughs> it's the only book that they ever reference. But that isn't J.K. Rowling's fault. That's the fault of our institutions of higher learning and families, which have not inculcated a sense of, of reading and a desire to read and know our culture into the generation. I, I'd like to blame J.K. Uh, uh, Rowling for tweeting crazy leftist things, but but the decline in culture and the rise of witchcraft are not her fault. Okay, that's our show. <laughs> I am going to be on the road. I'm going to be on the road next week giving some speeches all around the Midwest, so stay tuned for that. That's going to be a lot of fun, but we're still going to have a lot of shows. Make sure you tune into Another Kingdom and get caught up because it's doing really, really well. It's getting huge ratings. Huge, huge. The biggest ratings, folks, okay? People are really liking it, and it's certainly going to be my last job I ever have as an actor in Hollywood. So be sure to check it out. Have a good weekend. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you on Monday. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.